Welcome back to another episode of our new Blister podcast, Gear 30. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today we are talking about the brand new Mantra M5 that Vocal just unveiled today. This is the fifth iteration of the ski that Vocal first released back in 2005, and while a lot has changed in skiing since then, the Mantra is still one of the most recognizable and most iconic names in the game. Last month, Blister editor Sam Shaheen headed to Germany to ski the new Mantra M5 to tour the extremely impressive Vocal factory in Straubing, Germany, and to speak to two key designers at Vocal, Tobias Heil, the head of R&D at Vocal, and Dominic Grunert, the lead designer on the Mantra M5 and the women's version of the Mantra, the Vocal Secret. This is a great conversation and an extremely uncommon event. In the 90 plus years that Vocal has been around, rarely, if ever, has a review publication been granted this degree of direct access to Vocal R&D and engineering, and Tobias and Dominic proved to be extremely interesting and candid when talking about the Mantra M5, about Vocal's guiding design principles in general, and about a number of other questions we had for them. So you can check out Sam's conversation with Tobias and Dominic here, then head over to blisterreview.com to read our accompanying write-up and Sam's initial on-snow impressions of the new Mantra M5. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Marble Brewery, and as we've been promising at the end of our conversation about the new Mantra, we're going to have Marble's head brewer, Josh Trujillo, talk a bit about his award-winning Pilsner. I've got to admit that I've tended to dismiss Pilsners in the past, but talking to Josh seriously increased my appreciation of Pilsners in general, and drinking his Marble Pilsner increased that appreciation even more. So stay tuned for that at the end, and now, let's get to Sam Shaheen's conversation with Tobias and Dominic at the Vocal Factory in Straubing, Germany. So my name's Sam Shaheen. I'm a senior editor with Blister. And here on this Gear 30 podcast, we're in Straubing, Germany at the Vocal Factory with uh, Tobias and Dominic. Tobias is the head of, head of R&D, and Dominic is one of the engineers working on this uh, new Mantra M5 that we're going to be talking about. How are you guys doing today? Fine, thank you. Great, thanks. Excellent, cool. So I think we'll just, uh, we'll just dive right into it. Um, can you guys tell us a bit about the new Mantra M5, the general design principles, sort of what uh, what you're going for with the ski. So we came up this year, or we will come up next year uh, with that new mantra, and it's uh, beside the name Mantra, everything is new, and the idea is uh, from an end consumer uh, standpoint to create the mantra for its new. Uh, for its 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 new on on ski behavior to be very actual to all the changing weather conditions and snow conditions. Yeah. So we saw what the, how the market has changed, how the target group has changed a bit, and we adapted with a complete new design of the ski to suit this market perfectly. Now, can we can we talk more about um, the ski design specifics? Can you go through sort of um, the idea behind the design changes and what? Uh, what you're hoping to gain out of the new ski that the old skis lack? So we, the old tradition, or let's say that our, our heritage in Mantra was the basic idea 
to have a ski which is working in powder and on ice. And this is, a, we have a long heritage with that ski and a very, it was a very successful and still is a very successful ski. And, um, but the construction was similar to a very aggressive race ski in terms of layup, in terms of materials. So what we decided to create new for this ski is to reduce weight, use material only where we need it. And especially when it comes to titanol or so-called metal layers, this is a special aluminum material. And um, therefore we wanted to reduce weight and the material is the most, the heaviest material in the ski. And we reduced due to the function of the ski as much metal as possible without changing the properties of the ski. Right, what Tobias is saying, we basically analyzed where do we need what for what specific function. Do we need titanol in the center of the ski? If we need titanol, does it need to be a full layer? Can it be maybe a thinner titanol? So this is the, one of the first skis where we combined different thicknesses and specifications of titanol on the ski. The key word here is the titanol frame that we implemented on the M5 Mantra. We have a frame on the outside and the tip and the tail area of a stronger material on the edges where we want the stiffer material to transport and transmit the power into the ski so that the skier can ski the ski still aggressively. In the center area under the foot, we, did, we added a thinner layer of titanol, making the ski softer and also lighter because we don't need as much titanol there. Softer issue is a big issue that we've been noticing in the past, having skis super stiff in the center. The positive aspect of the softer ski is that you can work it and bend it easier and through the turn, not having to add too much pressure onto the ski and having it easier and more reliable for the skier itself. But what we also did is we ran a test to see, um, do we need some extra power in the ski? So what we did is we added the carbon to the tips. Carbon because we added we needed some more power, which we noticed in testing and in the prototyping phase which we can't get out of a glass. A glass is too heavy, we want a light material. So we found that the carbon is the pef perfect setup for this. Also as the positive aspect that it has the power, as I just mentioned, to initiate the turn a lot quicker and a lot faster, making the ski a lot more agile than we had in the past. One thing for all the, the people who know the mantra, skied the mantra, we still have the mantra feeling because the met a metal ski is a metal ski and you still feel that there is metal in it. And the good thing is you can see it, you can touch it, and you can feel it during skiing. Yeah, absolutely. One of the, I think one of the, the biggest changes from, from prior year's mantras, the, the obvious one at least, is the reintroduction of camber on this model. Um, it seems to harken back to some of the mantras of, uh, of, 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 of days past. Can you guys talk a little bit about, about, the, about the new camber rocker profile? So we came up with a new profile, which is now a tip and tail rocker. And we, in the past, we had a full rocker that was due to the off-piste uh, skiing uh, benefit, let's call it a, an advantage. And you know, we had a great seasons and great winter seasons in the past. And the idea behind was to have a ski which is more versatile and easier to ski off-piste. And due to the changing weather and slope condition, we decided now to create a ski which is more 
back to the all-mountain freeride category. And therefore, we decided after testing a lot of profiles that we go back to a tip and tail rocker, which is, uh, allows the ski to be easier skied on slope. It's more versatile without losing our off-piste, uh, um, how you say? Functionality. Fun- functionality. And you need to also look at the heritage of, or the story behind the mantras we had in the past. Oh, 2005, 2006 was the first season of the mantra that we had. This ski was a full camber ski. Um, the next step was to add a tip rocker. After that, we implemented a, uh, the full rocker ski, which Tobias just mentioned. But now we're taking that step back and we're basically combining what we had in the past with the camber underfoot, with the tip rocker and the full rocker. Now we have basically the perfect blend of everything we learned in the last years to now have basically the positive aspects of the rocker shapes and the tips and the tails area, but also the necessity of the camber underfoot and combine it all in one. And that's what we have now as yeah. the, the, um, the rocker profile in the new ski. And how, how much camber is it underfoot? It's about two millimeters per ski. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that, that's a decent amount. That should get a, a good amount of rebound and it's, um, it's the right amount that we wanted that we tested out to not have too much rebound, not to have that oversportive aspect like you have in a race ski or in a slalom or in a giant slalom ski, but it's still enough to have the edge grip you want, especially in harder, icier conditions. So you have the perfect combination of what we want. Yes. Should we see this camber profile coming back into some other skis like the wider BMTs or the V-Works Katana that right now are full reverse camber skis? We have that profile already in, in many skis of our line. And uh, I know uh, everybody's curious, but uh, we will bring the profile which matches best to the ski and uh, wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think I know the answer to this next question then. Uh, with the Titanol frame technology, is that something that we're going to see trickle down to, to other skis as, as well in the line? We have it in the line for another ski, which is a, a women's ski called Secret, exactly the same construction. We bring exactly uh, the, the same time, and it would be a similar ski, but it's uh, it's, nar- it's more narrow. It's uh, 92 underfoot. And of course, we don't stop that construction. So uh, as you can imagine, we are always a couple of years ahead in our thinking and our prototyping and our testing. And there are, we, we are here with that construction to stay. The new M5 mantra still fits into the, basically the same space in the vocal line as the previous mantra did. It's essentially, essentially in that same spot. Right. It's the successor of the old mantra that we had, um, but opening up to maybe a different kind of skier. Um, the skier that skied the old the mantra before the full rocker version we had the feedback that many people um, got to say they were offended by the rocker is maybe too harsh, but didn't really like the full rocker version. They like the camber underfoot. Um, we are this new rocker profile, especially helps us target these people. Um, the spot in the lineup is still the same, but I think the variety on customers that you that you target with this ski now has gotten bigger. Okay. What I personally like is the, the blend of all the, the worlds we have in terms of material and technology and also as well in, uh, in, in the Rockle Lines uh, profiles. 
because this is the I think this is the kind of a key message what the the mantra brings and it's still the free ride uh, titanowski uh, you will feel the mantra but you will you will feel also or ski the the benefits of all these different uh, areas where we work on especially in R&D and with the test team and product management so then which other skis on the market is the M5 Mantra set to compete against? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, in, in the past, we were compared as from our competitors, look, this is our, this is our mantra. So that was uh, yeah. already, that was more or less a brand for the, for the competitors, but they learned and uh, especially on the, the U.S. market, there are two brands, um, one Austrian and one Italian brand. They have a lot of former, a lot of former uh, people from us. <laughs> and, You're not going to uh, name obviously, names, are you? <laughs> obviously, um, obviously, they learned and they did their homework, and they they were very near on our butts. <laughs> <laughs> so now we for sure will escape uh, with the new mantra and um, but there are some some good products on the market the same width and the same length same target group and then okay, yeah. full with titanel okay yeah you, you don't have to name names it's fine <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know the names <laughs> okay okay a personal question of all because I, I know that you're going to say the new M5, but if, if you take the M5 mantra out of the picture, which version of the mantra is your guys's favorite, your, your personal <laughs> favorite ski? Um, that's a good question. The thing is, um, I have a quick, uh, a close tie to the mantra. As I was an intern here before starting as an engineer, I bought myself a ski and it was, um, the 1112 mantra, which had the tip rocker. Um, starting as an engineer two years later or three years later, I, the first project that I was assigned was the 13, no, 14, 15 mantra, the first one with the full rocker. Um, so I have a really close connection to both. I love both skis. Um, I would personally say I'd like the full rocker version more, the last one that was on the market because I designed it myself of course it was a personal <laughs> touch to it um so i would have to go with this one if we have to leave out the m5 mantra okay yeah but it would be the m5 if if you could choose with the changes that we made definitely for okay. sure yes yeah. what about you tobias i totally agree to, to dominic because the m call it the m4 fourth generation um the ski was way easier to ski off pist and it was the kind of the everyday ski and uh, the M3, call it like M3, there was something which was very demanding. And it was off-piste. You had to ski it very precise. It was animal. It's sometimes on some snow condition was love and hate ski. So for me, definitely it was the taking out the M5. It's the generation we have right now, the actual ski with a full rocker. I personally like it. Um, and I'm, to be honest, I haven't skied the final version. Uh, I skied it in summer and on a, on a glacier in Italy, but the final version, I'm, I'm, I'm still curious. So you will ski before me, unfortunately. Ooh, I feel honored. <laughs> Another favorite ski question. 
What is your favorite ski out of the entire vocal lineup? Present day or ever? Any ski ever. Huh. We ask the hard questions. That is a hard question, yeah. <laughs> we often ask ourselves this question. The good thing is everybody of us does have uh, between 10 and 20 pairs of ski at home. <laughs> so that's not an issue. We can, we can switch within the model length. That's, that's nice. But uh, I can answer, Dominic. What's your favorite? Um, I'm still thinking. Um, of these skis that we have in our said basement, I have the one that I take with me on an everyday basis. Um, that's the 108 that we designed a couple years ago. I love the ski. It was a tough struggle engineering this ski. So uh, knowing of which manpower we put into it with the 3D design and so on, um, that has a big plus point in my mind emotionally. Um, and from skiing wise, um, also I love the light feeling you have, the easy skiing you have from the ski, and the fact that you can basically ski it from ice to hard pack to powder, the ver the variability of the ski, that's what I love of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I really have to say yes. That's fun ski. Glad to hear. <laughs> you, Tobias? Um, for me, it's a mixture between Kendo and uh, 98. But now the 98, when we started the project Mantra M5, we wanted to have uh, uh, 98 with more horsepower. And this is exactly what it created with the M5. So I'm pretty sure. Definitely. I'm, 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 I'm a fan of the Mantra. And for sure, the Mantra will be the number one because this is the ski, Mantra and Kendo, the ski, which are always in my car. Yeah. One of the, one of the interesting things, and I, th I think we already did touch on this a bit, uh, one of the, one of the trends throughout your line is this full full reverse camber design with very little tip and tail splay. You know, you have the 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 old mantra, the katana, the V Works katana, the BM the wider BMTs all have this sort of almost flat camber underfoot with very minimal tip and tail splay. Um, it seems like now with the with the M5, you're coming back into camber. I know. We, we we sort of touched on, on on this earlier, but but maybe speak more to to the idea of fully reverse camber skis versus camber skis throughout throughout the the touring and free ride lines. <clears throat> the reverse camber, you mean a full rocker? Full rocker, yeah. 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 Um, we we de we still see uh, advantages of the full rocker. We all know in very tough and uh, demanding snow conditions, there is an advantage of pist. For sure. Uh, we know some, um, I don't want to name it disadvantage, but uh, easier to ski skis when you have a, a, a rocker or a rocker profile, a tip tail rocker profile. Um, in the very beginning, when it came up, when full rocker came, when some brands make extreme profiles, very high shovels and, and tails um, the snowboard industry went to full rocker like crazy of course there was a, a over how you say a, a, a over swing in the into this direction and the industry especially us or all of us we learned and now we see the advantage of the combined profiles and for sure we will proceed in the future to create uh, less um, 
extreme profiles. Yeah. Especially as, um, as we have it on the Montreal with the tip and tail rocker construction with the camber underfoot, you have a bigger variance that you can basically provide. You can make the camber longer, shorter, higher, lower, making therefore the, the, the rocker lengths longer and shorter and also higher and lower. This possibility you did not have on the full rocker. You had your full rocker, it was always zero underfoot, and you could maybe change the height a bit, but that was it. And now you can suit different target groups better. If it's more pistol oriented more powder-orientated, you can adjust the lengths and the heights of the camber, therefore also of the rockers, which means you can suit different target groups a lot better with this kind of profile. This is what we, what we tested in the past years. And I, I can tell you that we, if we change a, a rocker profile, we immediately change the thickness, the core profile. So we want to have the stiffness of the ski, longitudinal stiffness, matching to the profile of the rocker. So this is something we don't just bend or we say this is a tip-tail rocker. We have a, a defined uh, characteristic for every target group. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, and that's that makes a lot of sense, the idea of the tunability. Um, I, I can't say I really follow on the idea of the longitudinal flex matching the camber profile. Can 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 you expand more on that? So on a on a tip tail rocker we have some contact points when the ski you you, you have a pair of ski. Sure, sure. Um, and uh, that area where the contact is, the virtual contact, it's not the real contact, but uh, what we have in the, in the CAT, in the computer, um, we have a certain stiffness along the ski. And it depends on where the contact point is. So the stiffness is created due to the geometry of the, of the um, rocker profile. Because when you have the ski on, on a certain angle, the contact point moves... Uh, a little bit you know it's a full rocker ski on a certain angle the whole edge uh, you have the whole edge has no contact certainly certainly so so is the idea that that the less the less camber or maybe the further the further in towards the center of the ski the contact points are the ski should flex softer longitudinally depends or, on softer or stiffer okay that's uh, something uh which has to match to our philosophy. In the very end, the package, the package has to has to work. Right, right. So um, basically, exactly what Tobias said is that we will make areas softer or stiffer depending if the rocker is now shorter or longer, if the camber is shorter or longer, but also depending on the width of the ski and the target group. It all has to fit together. It's the package that Tobias mentioned that um, we need to combine, and where we need to um, where we adjust basically from ski to ski. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, so we talk a lot on blister about the pros and cons of exceptionally lightweight gear, which is something that you guys do a, a lot of definitely, um, with the V works construction, um, is, is, are, are these sort of super lightweight constructions, something that you guys are still focusing on? Is that a, a focus for your, for your future? ski projects so you have to balance the two different worlds because for us uh in the very beginning it was there were two different worlds you can build a ski very light but it, it does not behave during skiing like you want it to have it so there are some properties 
for sure we don't like on, on very light ski. Um, our philosophy is uh, the perfect setup and the function on snow. And we created very light ski, but we didn't like to ski it. So what we do right now, we try to reduce as much weight as possible, but not more, just as necessary for skiing. And for some reasons, we made some skis on purpose heavier again, because it, it doesn't feel, it didn't feel good. Right. It's all about finding the right balance, making the ski as light as possible to fit the performance that we want from the ski. Um, we are performance driven. Um, we want to have the best out of the ski, but it can't come fully at the cost of for the weight, exam, for example. So we won't take out every gram of the ski if the performance is going to drop on the ski. That is something that we will not, we don't uh, do. Yeah, and you, you see some uh, parallel uh, technologies in the in the mountain bike or road racing uh, industry. Uh, they came up with carbon frames, frames stiff like hell. They were not nice to use. Uh, and now uh, companies like like Specialized, uh, leader in the market, they work with composite frames, including some dampening uh, areas, some stringers, where the carbon frame is still stiff, but it's it's the behavior is different than in the past. And this is something uh, you have to achieve to satisfy the user of the product. Okay, so this next question, um, this next question comes from our editor in chief. Uh, we're seeing a number of companies offer limited releases of some older skis. From a production point of view, how difficult or easy would it be to do a limited run of the metal katana? Maybe just 100, 150 pairs in the 184, 191 centimeter lengths, or even just the 191. I think Jonathan really likes the, that metal katana. <laughs> I'm sure the toolings are still existing. But it's like on a good wine, when you try wine tasting, okay? And you start with a wine about 10 bucks, and you end up with a wine like uh, which is about 40 bucks. And you go back to the wine, 10 bucks, for sure, you will not take the first one. We could build it, but this is not our philosophy. We want to add uh, advantages to the end consumer. I personally uh, have sometimes the same idea than a ski, an old ski. Hmm, maybe the new one is, is better. I was a fan of, of the metal katana. I agree. and uh, But... Stay calm and wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, going back to the mantra that uh, I bought being an intern, I skied it last year for the fun of it, just around the corner here. Um, and it was a, yeah, a bit of a surprise how the ski itself changed, how personally the skiing has changed. Um, as much as you loved it in the past, things change. Um, your expectation changes and... Just because it was good in the past um, doesn't mean it has to be good again if we bring it again. So the skis are developed, and developed means evolution. So there's always a step forward, and these steps forward are made um, not just because we want to, because because we see a reason in it and a positive effect that we have. And I understand the question. Um, 
we've discussed it quite a few times, I think. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't always have to be. Let's just leave it like that. I'm sure I still have some prototypes in my warehouse, in my private warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Which length? You're, oh, yeah, I, th I think he likes the 191. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we still have some pairs. I think I have one in my office, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> your, your secret wine cellar of all your old favorite skis. Yeah. <laughs> so if you look into, into the future of sort of ski design in general, maybe five, five or ten years, what do, you, what do you think the general design trends, um, whether it's, you know, materials or shapes or camber profiles or constructions or different things like that, where, where do you see ski design in five to ten years? This is a good question, and we have it very often in our brainstorming meetings when we, we do internal brainstorming where we ask ourselves these questions. We write down what we could wish, even if we know it's not to realize right now. So let's start with material. We know that performance for of, of the material will increase. So what does this mean? Uh, performance, especially carbon, the properties of carbon will change. Um, and what we see is, um, take that example, what I just said with the bike industry, the design of the frames changed. It looks similar, a road racing bike, but the flex and the stiffness and the vibrations, they changed. So for sure with the materials, we can work on details. We can work on force flow, where we wanna have the force in the ski. We for sure work on where do we need less material uh, to reduce a not necessary weight without changing the behavior of the ski. That's material and construction. Um, skiing is a very traditional sport. Um, and some things I'm not, I'm sure it will not change within the next five to 10 years. So I'm sure in 10 years, a ski will not look totally different to a ski what we have right now. But what will, what for sure will be different is that the, the, how to say the the easy access for the end consumer for every certain target group will be easier that mean we want to create ski with a wider range from the immediate skier to a pro skier everybody can use that ski like a porsche uh the guys who can afford a porsche they cannot use it because they're too <laughs> old but they can they have access to that, to that product, not only money-wise. Sure, <laughs> they sure. can use it. It's 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 a good good car sure. for everybody. Yeah, I also agree. It should be, or I believe it will be more target group specific. It will be not just here's your next free ride ski, but this is the free ride ski that you need for this and this condition, and. That is the one thing that I see that this being more specified, not just have a range, but have a real specific range is the one thing. And the other thing is to be as mentioned it just a second ago, and we already did the first step in this is having material where you want it. Um, and where you need it and where you need it. Of course, that's basically what I meant to say. Um, we did it on the mantra. Now we did this first step and this is the first step and now it needs to be figured out on where can we use it and how can we improve it? Is there some other tweaks that we can add on to it? 
And this flows then again together with this being specific, uh, being specified. Do we need it in a racing ski? Probably not. Do we need an all mountain? Possible. But now it's to figure out who needs what, especially, and getting all this to flow together. The skiing has changed the last couple of years enormously. You've had, you have brands now in every category where in the past there were only maybe one, two core brands, but now every brand is charging these groups. And now it's in the mean of specifying this, improving this in some means, and also reducing, um, reducing the material that we set up into the ski to really only what we need and what the ski needs and the customer needs. It's really having the specific package, more or less. Yeah. It's what I can see possibly coming in the future. Yeah. So, so then do you, do you see the future being filled with sort of crazy space age materials that we don't know about yet or wild design shapes or just more, it sounds, sounds like just more continued refinement to, to target, to target that, that user more, more effectively. I, I would say both. Um, it's not that we are not looking for the next thing. Um, we are looking for both, both worlds. Uh, for sure, if we have crazy ideas, we we create it, we ski it, and once it's it's good enough to have an advantage versus an existing product, we will create it, like adjustable flex line on skis or whatever we brought in the past. Well, I think that's probably about time for us to wrap this up. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to to sit down and chat and like, like we touched on, I'm going to go and ski the new M5 tomorrow in Solden, which should be great. And we'll have some notes on that in the show notes of this podcast. So for those listening, be sure to be sure to read up on my first impressions on the ski, but uh, I'd like to thank you guys. Thanks Dominic. And thanks Tobias um, for taking the time to talk. And uh, I think we're, we're all excited to get some more time on, on the new mantra. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Have fun tomorrow. It was a pleasure, <laughs> and I hope you enjoy it tomorrow. Yeah, you will feel it. You will I, feel it. I will feel it. <laughs> I hope to feel it. Thanks, guys. That's it for this edition of Gear Thirty. Thanks to Tobias and Dominic for the conversation. And Tobias, I will definitely be hitting you up about those one ninety one metal katanas. Now, be sure to check out our accompanying write-up about the new Mantra M5 and the new Vocal Secret on Blister, and you can also check out Sam Shaheen's initial On Snow report. And finally, as promised, it's time to talk to Joshua Trujillo, the master brewer at Marble Brewery in Albuquerque, New Mexico, about his award-winning Pilsner, the Pilsner that won a gold medal at the World Beer Cup. Joshua and I also talk about Pilsners in general and why brewers tend to love Pilsners so much. Of course, you can always learn more about this Pilsner and all of Marble's beers at marblebrewery.com, but right now, you get to hear it straight from the man himself, Joshua Trujillo. Hope you enjoy. So we are here down at Marble Brewery, and I am joined by uh, Joshua Trujillo, the master brewer which is like the coolest title in the world, uh, the master brewer at Marble Brewing. Um, and we are trying your award-winning Pilsner. Correct. Um, I've already talked a lot about the Double White, which is one of my all-time favorite beers. So I want 
you to tell us a bit about this Pilsner. Uh, what's it about? What makes it different? What makes it special? Really, the most special thing about this beer, in my opinion, is just the execution and the finesse that goes along with producing it consistently to, to the caliber of, of which it is. And it's, it's one of the harder beers to make. I mean, it's crystal clear, non-filtered, German-style, German-inspired, rather, Pilsners. We are not in Germany, right? So it's an American take on a German, a German classic. It's a little bit hop-forward for the style. Dry-hopped Pilsners aren't, aren't a big thing, but we dry-hop ours just enough to brighten that floral aspect of it. And this is one of the most beautiful beers ever, in my opinion. I love to drink it. I love to talk about it. I love to smell it. I love to eat the ingredients raw. Just the whole aspect of it is 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 passion driven. And this beer has been around since you know close to day one at Marble Brewery yep. in one iteration over another. Changed to Marble Pilsner, I think around 2010, and really dialed it in for a German Pils recipe. This beer takes about 35 days to produce, which is a longer range in comparison to say an ale at 14 to 21 days and the lager yeast is just really smooth and parts soft characters lets the ingredients shine so it's really hard to to hide flaws easy to find flaws in a beer like this so you have to you have to understand your direction you have to understand your ingredients you have to understand your end goal and you have to really take great care in producing the, the pilsner overall hmm. and you know ultimately this is what this is what we all drink after work all the brewers you meet any brewer any any town for the most part they're drinking their pilsner or somebody else's pilsner it's it's just it's the go-to so alcohol content on this pilsner and the ibus on this pilsner the alcohol content on our marble pilsner is 4.8 percent alcohol and the ibus are 32 ibus okay. so it's it's not too low not too high it's right right in the middle per style that we do dry hop it just a touch to brighten it up and bring the aroma out. So it kind of, you know, takes on this really big floral, slightly spicy touch of fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And it drinks very balanced, simple recipe. That's really for me, what's great about like Pilsner in general is the simplicity. It's, you know, finesse and expression through simplicity. You take minimal ingredients, you make something great out of it rather than taking a muddled pile of ingredients and trying to make something great with it. Yep. You know, that's a hit or miss at that point where this one, you've got to have your consistency. You have to understand what your, your facility is doing and the, the changes, you know, ultimately we're dealing with an agricultural based product. So you have to, you have to be aware of, of your ingredients. Like I said before, eating the ingredients and smelling them regularly. You can't just go through the motions on this beer or any beer for that matter. But this one's, you know, a little extra special in that aspect. And that's one of the things I was saying to you earlier that I said that sometimes I've found Pilsners to be boring and you quickly countered with, with a Pilsner, there's nowhere to hide, right? Because of that simplicity, like if it's, if it's a good Pilsner, that means you've done something right. Whereas if it's a super, you know, double IPA, it's maybe easier to kind of hide, um, imperfections in the beer because of the high uh hop rates yep. high alcohol rates many 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 variables to that and, and uh, you know uh, for for another topic the 
the IPAs are definitely coming into that range of, of finesse. You have to understand your ingredients because there's so many out there. Everybody's making an IPA and the ingredients change so, so often that I personally believe that the IPAs are also coming into that range of finesse where you have to understand your ingredients, know exactly what you're getting out of each one of them in order to stand out. And ultimately a beer should, should crave it. You should, you should drink a beer and you should want another one. You know, there's a guy named Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewery that, that says you should sit down, at, whether it be a bar, your own brewery, your house, and you should want to drink four of your beers. If you can't drink four of these beers, there's something wrong with that beer and you need to reassess it because you should be able to crave that beer imminently and want more. And that's what the Pilsner is for me. And I and like to think that I speak for everybody at Marble Brewery when I say that this is our go-to beer and we, we definitely baby it. And, and the clout that it has within the industry, the accolades is definitely shown through and the love that we put behind it comes out a lot. Tell me more about that. You were just saying that the Pilsner, uh, Marvel's Pilsner has actually been one of the most awarded beers here. Absolutely. The Pilsner has six medals between Great American Beer Festival and World Beer Cup over the last seven years. It's got a gold at World Beer Cup in the Keller Beer's Wickelbeer category. Uh, Keller Beer's Wickelbeer is an unfiltered German, German ale or lager, which is exactly what this is. Cool. And the World Beer Cup is a internationally renowned competition. So we've got a bronze and a gold in that competition. And there's, you know, a silver and three bronze in the Great American Beer Festival, wow. which is, is 